Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're off and running again. So smooth, so sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort, 4,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Wonder Goal, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. I am your host today, BJ Cunningham. Michael Leboff is out for another episode. In a second, I'll be joined by my friend and co-host, Anthony DeBundo. But first, Wonder Goal is presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with the promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey, Colorado, and Ohio. Bet $1 on any game, get 200 free. Before I bring Anthony in, this episode is going to be a little different. Obviously, the Premier League is off for the midweek and the weekend for the FA Cup, but we're going to have a little short episode here talking the two EFL Cup matches. Uh, We have the semifinals taking place this week and next week over the two legs. We'll talk a little bit of Lazio AC Milan, which is taking place on Tuesday. And then we have a full slate of midweek Bundesliga action. And then at the very end of the episode, we have a 30-minute interview with Eric Winalda, who's back on the show, talked a little Premier League, what's wrong with Liverpool, what's what's wrong with Chelsea, and then we kind of dove into the United States men's national team, some of the key players like Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, and then finally we got his thoughts on who potentially could be the next United States men's national team manager if they don't retain Greg Bearhalter. That was a mouthful, Anthony. Let's start on Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Southampton is hosting Newcastle. Southampton, a four at sitting at plus 400. Newcastle, minus 134 road favorite with the draw sitting at plus 260. Um, This price seems a little high on Newcastle here, uh, aspect going on the road. Um, So I'll probably be passing on this one, but do you have anything for uh, this first of two semifinal matchups? Yeah, I, I lean towards Southampton too. I think the number on Newcastle has just gotten kind of inflated across the board on them. Uh, but I like the under more, under two and a half, minus 125, 130 is out there. Uh, I just think that this is similar to where we've been with Newcastle for the last couple, or where I've been at least with Newcastle for the last couple of matches, where they're just not as good at breaking opponents down early in games and and kind of in even game states. So it is interesting if you pull up their data on like even game states this year, they're they're seventh in XG per ninety uh, when the game is tied, and so they're not taking a ton of chances. And but they finished really well. I mean, if you look at some of their games, they have gotten into extremely favorable game states really early, and that's helped them kind of sit in their transitional kind of way and dominate games from the head. Uh, we saw that against Leicester City in the in the cup quarterfinal. We even saw that. You know, going back to their win against Leicester, you know, they're up 2-0 inside 10 minutes. When they beat Chelsea, uh, that was more of like a, you know, going back to the, before the World Cup, they they didn't really create much in that entire game. And that was when Chelsea was really struggling. So at home against Chelsea, you know, less than one expected goal. So if you kind of look around, you can poke holes in this Newcastle team and say that maybe we've hit the top of the market because it's true that they've improved and that Eddie Howe has done a really good job 
But you start to like look around at some of the talent, like Almarone playing way above his talent level, finishing way above his XG. You start to think, okay, how sustainable is this level of performance? And so I do think we're going to see some regression from Newcastle. We're at the top of the market on them. I'm going to be, you know, fading them uh, next week in the league. I'm pretty sure they're home home against West Ham. But I think this is a good spot to take an under because I just think that they're not going to take a ton of possession or chances out of possession to, you know, risk losing this game when, you know, you're the away team in a two-legged thing. You know, a draw is a good result. Keeping Southampton off the board is good. Uh, you don't want to, you know, take a ton of chances. So I think this sets up in a similar kind of cup tie, like when we talk Champions League and Europa League. Also, I think Southampton defensively has shown some promising signs under under Jones. I mean, they got a clean sheet against City in the, in the cup, and it wasn't like City breasted everybody. They played a decent team in that game. Uh, they uh, held Villa to, you know, about one expected goal this weekend. So, like, pretty encouraging performance. They ended up losing the game, but I thought that they were relatively even in that game, and they're good at keeping teams out of their penalty area. So, Newcastle, if you had to say, like, one of their bigger weaknesses is probably consistency of breaking down teams that want to sit deeper and, and that don't want to, you know, let them dominate and field tilt you. Uh, they're, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, roughly in some of their numbers going forward in like uh, ball progression. So there, there is a world where Southampton does enough here to slow them down. And this is like a one, one, one kind of game going back to St. James's park next week. Yeah, I agree with you. If I had to play anything, I'd probably play Southampton here. But the problem I'm having here with Saints is, you know, the problem with Nathan Jones and the way he, the style that he plays is that it can work, but you have to take advantage of your chances because you're going to get very few throughout the match because they concede so much possession. Even though they are going to press teams high, they still do leave space in behind. The problem is, I'm, I agree with you, the problem here for Newcastle is they're best when they're able to sit back press and then counter teams. And this is not going to be that type of situation where they're going to have to break down a low block similar to how it was against crystal palace, where they just didn't have a good finishing uh, day on, on Saturday. So I agree with you. If I had to play anything, I'd probably play uh, Southampton here or potentially the under. Um, but for me, I just can't get behind the South, the Southampton team. I mean, they are, they're literally the worst set piece team in the premier league, even though they have James Ward prowse, like they're finishing way above where they should be. Um, and that's a big red flag when you're going up against Newcastle. So um, I'll be passing on this one. Let's move on to a little more interesting one. Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time, Nottingham Forest hosting Manchester United off of a 3-2 loss against Arsenal. Nottingham Forest is sitting at plus 450. United sitting at minus 150 with the draw. You're at plus 275. I'll let you go first, but um, it should come to no shock to anybody who listens to this podcast that uh, – I think I'm going to fade United again. Congratulations on Thank fading you. United successfully. I well, know. I just kept retweeting every little analytics site that I follow and just domination because that's exactly what it was. Arsenal got what they deserved. I agree. I think I tweeted that after the match. Matt Trevi was like, oh, how bold of you to say that. A nice thing about Arsenal. Uh, yeah, definitely downgrading United off of the performance. Uh, I think we saw one potential issue for United in this in this game against Arsenal. And and like it's not a huge issue because you're playing away at Arsenal and like how much of the ball are you really expecting to have and how many shots were you really going to get. But they got nothing from Veghorst or Anthony in this match. I do wonder if we'll see some midfield rotation. Somebody like Christian Eriksen, uh, you know, Bruno Fernandez might get a little bit of a rest. I'm not I'm not entirely sure how they'll approach it, but uh United 
is in a tough spot here for Forrest. I mean, they've gotten to the point now where they're relatively like out of immediate danger. They're still in the relegation battle, but they're not like desperate. Um, this is a huge opportunity for them in a cup semifinal at home. And if you look at the expected goals data from home matches and away matches this year, yep. Forrest has actually been better at home than United's been on the road and just like an aggregate XG difference. Uh, Forrest is above XG uh, water level. They're they're right around basically an average team at home. Uh, whereas United away from home has really struggled to create chances. Now, I wanted to bet the under here, uh, and I bet the under when they played on Boxing Day or, or the day after, uh, under 3.25 at Old Trafford. Now it's two and a half. I can't bet under two and a half with United against this Forest defense, uh, even though it's a first leg. But instead, I'm going to take Forest plus three quarters plus one. I'm waiting. I haven't actually bet it yet. United sitting roughly, you know, 155, 150. If that drifts a little bit upward, I'll be uh, grabbing the plus one. If not, I'll settle and take the three quarters, uh, depending on how that line moves between now and Wednesday. But I think uh, Forest has shown improvement. They've been much better at home. And the United attack is just not giving me enough shots to trust them. Even in their wins, even in the draw against Palace, like they went up the goal and then they just kind of sat on it and, and then lost control of the game. And, you know, if they go up a goal here, it's a great result for United, but, you know, similar to the other match where you have a road favorite like Newcastle, a draw is not a bad result either with the, with them going home, especially given, uh, you know, coming off of this emotional loss to Arsenal and with potentially rotation coming in. The biggest problem I thought for United today Ten Hag had nothing on the like. There's nothing on the United bench that he can turn to for, for good depth, attacking. Like Garnacho is is showing promise, but there's no like attacking depth while Martial's out. Uh, so I think there's some question marks about like how how much can we trust United right now, uh, as a as a road favorite at Forest in a cup match. So I like the dog. I agree with you, and the thing is, I think you hit the nail on the head. Is that Nottingham Forest has just been way, way better at home than they've been on the road. I mean, they're a pl- they're a plus one expected goal differential uh, in the Premier League, and they've actually they've done okay against the big six at home. Like they beat Liverpool one nothing, won the expected goals battle. They beat Tottenham in the EFL Cup two nothing. They drew Chelsea one one and won the expected goals battle. So, and if you remember that Chelsea goal was kind of a fluke, uh, you know, off of Willie Bully's head off the bar and then right to Sterling. Um, and you know, I was going back through Nottingham Forest because obviously they were really, really bad to begin the season. And I went from September 1st, which is the day after they got beat six, nothing by city, uh, at the, at the head, they're only a minus 0.28 non-penalty expected goal differential per 90 minutes since that time frame, which is 13th in the premier league. So they're really just improving and they're really not as bad as we saw from, uh, from the beginning. And that, you know, you mentioned that match against United out of, you know, out of the world cup break. I don't know how much we can really, you know, we can obviously take a lot from that, but like you already mentioned, United hasn't been good away from home. And also Morgan Gibbs white did not play in that match. And he is currently leading them in pretty much every single offensive stat. He has the most shot creating actions outside of Taiwa Awanawi. He has the, the second best expected goal plus expected assist rate per 90 minutes he's basically just become their best creator. So him being healthy and in the lineup is going to be big. The problem I'm running into and why I want to wait for a better number, like you like you mentioned, Steve Henderson's probably not going to play, which means Wayne Hennessy's going to be in goal. Oh, and now he's also out. So well, he can't play. That's true. He can't play. The parent club. So it'll be Wayne. Club. 
That is true. It will be not great. Another reason not to bet the under because I, you know, yeah. uh, that that game Another reason, ended three nil. Another reason to wait, uh, for maybe potentially a better number. Like, uh, yeah, like I project United at minus one twenty eight for this match, assuming everybody plays a full lineup. It is a semifinal, so I'd assume they play, uh, you know, a full lineup. And again, like you mentioned with these cup ties, it's two legs. So is United really going to go all out and put? Uh, you know, full front attack on Nottingham Forest, like a draw is good enough, get them back to Old Trafford and they'll get through and hopefully win their first uh, trophy in five years. Um, so we'll see, but yeah, I'll eventually probably be on Forest um, in, in some fashion. Uh, but yeah, I'll probably be waiting for another number or better. The number. first trophy since Jose. Yes, that is the wow. first. Good. good. Thank you for mentioning that, Anthony. Yeah. It has been the first trophy since Jose, but everybody thinks they're good. Um, they are good. <laughs> no, they're good they're okay they're okay anyway who do they, play? Right. Who do they have they have reading so they also i mean they also have fa cup this weekend yep and then they have another you know they'll have the second leg and then uh they'll be back in the league so like they, they, this is a tough fixture pile up for these teams that are in both for forest they don't have that problem so you know yes. third uh, match in seven days for united uh this, this is be- the biggest match of the season for Nottingham Forest. Yep. It's not even the biggest match of the week for Man United. I think that has exactly. To be in here. It might even be third biggest. I don't know. Well, it's, it is a semifinal. Um, all right, let's move on to Italy. There's a really nice match on Tuesday at 2:45 p.m. Eastern Time. Lazio hosting AC Milan. Two teams currently inside the top four. Lazio sitting at plus 210. AC Milan sitting at plus 130 with the draw at plus 240. Um, the, the number is getting better here on AC Milan and getting into the range where I potentially would play them. Um, because of course, you know, you know, our, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know, our feelings about Lazio, but where are you thinking of going in uh, this headliner in Syria? Yeah. I like the under two and a half goals. Uh, this is just, I mean, the Lazio attack shouldn't really be able to have any success at all in this matchup. Uh, they don't create a lot of shots at all. They're one of the worst shots team. They rely on, uh, getting enough possession to eventually get one or two really good shots and then finish them at an alarmingly and unsustainable rate. And they've done that for a year and a half. And so credit to them. <laughs> but like you look at this uh, attack, I mean, you know, they're eighth in penalty touches, they're 11th in progressive passes, 12th in passes into the area. So immediately I'm thinking, okay, this is like an average attack. Uh, and they are, I mean, they're ninth in non penalty expected goals per 90 minutes which is right around the league average in Italy. But they don't finish that way. I mean, if you look <laughs> at goals four, they're, you know, they're the fourth or fifth best attack uh, in the league. They have a better the top four. differential than Milan. Right. And despite being about 10 goals worse than expected goals. So, you know, yep. this Lazio team has owned us forever. Yep. Uh, the, the day is coming. You know, we talked on, on, um, and I tweeted this a couple of days ago. We were talking like top four futures now that Juventus is is losing 15 points. And and in theory, there's value on Lazio. I don't see it. Uh, Roma and Atalanta are clearly better teams and, and should be fighting for those that, that fourth place if Juve actually loses the points. But in terms of this matchup, I think this is a great get-right spot for the Milan defense, which really got pasted in back-to-back games, giving up five goals to, to Lecce. And uh, they really were uncompetitive with Inter in the Supercopa uh, on Thursday. So I think this is a good spot for the defense to kind of get right. They've, they've struggled with conceding. They had the blown lead against Roma. Like there is regression that has come for this defense. This is a perfect get right spot against a bad Lazio attack that is 
so running so hot. Uh, and and I do expect Lazio uh, to put in a good defensive effort here at home, uh, where they have been much better. Uh, like their attacks also, like their defense has also been running really good, but not to the same extent that the attack has. And at home, their 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 defending has actually been pretty good. So I can I can live with it, even though I don't love it. Yeah, the number is getting better here on AC Milan. Uh, and the thing is, is like it's a conversation we had. I think it was the last week or two weeks ago that you know. The books know that Lazio is not the you know second or third best team by, by goal differential. Otherwise, they'd be a favorite here. But the thing is, is no Sierra Mobley, which is a problem for Lazio, considering if you just pull up Lazio, if who's getting the most shots, it's him. He's getting about a little less than three shots per 90, and then nobody else is getting over two shots per 90, which is a little bit concerning. So it's like, all right, where, where are the goals going to come from for this team? And like you already mentioned, they just don't get a lot of shots. I mean, they're 17th in shots per 90 they're just finishing at an alarming alarming rate and the thing is is they they want to play through the middle of the pitch like they Serge Milinkovic Savic is is very very good and he does a great job getting forward but Lazio is completing the fewest crosses into the penalty area they're 18th in xg per set piece so what's to love about this Lazio attack if they don't have Ciro Mobley the guy who's just been finishing at an unsustainable rate for 3 years now and Milan, the flip side of that is like their top four or five in every single metric that we look at, uh, which is very, very good. So uh, I do project them at plus 123 before accounting for the injury for Immobile. So I think it is a decent spot here, like you mentioned, for Milan coming off two bad performances, a good get right spot against a Lazio team that just has been very, very underwhelming yet again. For uh, I mean, they are, we're sitting at 30 goals for off of 23 expected. And then we're sitting at 15 goals a lot off 19 expected. They're a little over a plus three expected goal differential about running about 13 goals above where they should be. So great, great spot here for AC Milan to get right. All right, let's move yeah, on. I, I think, you know, one more thing, uh, yeah. both these attacks, like don't even get good shots, right? They're both outside the top eight in uh, average shot distance. Yeah. So I know. It's so like not getting shots and they're not high quality not great shots. And like Milan has run really well for like a year now too. Yeah. They've started to cool off a little bit. They're good. They're a good team. Like their underlying numbers are fine. Like I don't think Milan's yeah. like bad, but like, I think a lot is bad, but I still think, I mean, like other than Liao taking a huge step forward this year, they're getting less production from striker. Like this lot, this Milan attack has holes too. Um, so, you know, the, the consistent production just hasn't quite been there for them. Exactly. All right, let's move on to we have a full slate of midweek Bundesliga action. So we're just going to do a little rapid fire here. We're all just both going to go back and forth, each give up uh, one or two picks here for the slate. So I'll kick it to you first. Well, uh, the Bundesliga was back. I went one and two this weekend. One on Leipzig, which was easy money. Bayern totally flat off of coming uh, from the World Cup break. They were terrible in that match. Uh, did Did love to see Jan looking good in goal as always. Uh, even though it hurts me to see him playing for Bayern. But uh, yeah, Leipzig was a good winner. And then, you know, Frankfurt had a fraudulent 3-0 win. They were outplayed for the majority of that match. Uh, and then Gladbach, total wrong side this morning. But I am going, there were two teams that got absolutely destroyed over the weekend. And I'm betting on both of them this weekend. Freiburg lost 6-0 uh, to yep. Wolfsburg at Wolfsburg. Uh, I believe that was, my, had- that was my pick. I believe BJ had Freiburg. Somebody tweeted I did have us. Freiburg. was like, that was worst my podcast of all time. I literally, like, you know, my who gave out Freiburg. I think I literally said Wolfsburg can't turn final third possession to any type of high quality chance. And then they scored six goals. They did a lot of that. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, we do not hit hundred percent of our bets. Uh, sorry to the listener who I guess had too much money on Freiburg on Saturday, but sorry, <laughs> it happens. Yeah. That being said, I'm betting Freiburg. And if you listen to me, like they're not a team that I love necessarily. Like I think they, they generally are overrated, but there are a few things they do really well. Uh, one of them is set pieces. They get a ton of production out of their set pieces uh, more than anybody in the entire league, pretty much on a consistent basis. Grifo, incredible deliverer of the ball. Um, they're a very physical team. They're very good in the air. Like there are little things that Freiburg does, despite being like a pretty small club that, that enables them to kind of get an edge in a league where uh, there's not really any great teams outside of Bayern. Like everybody's kind of mid. And so Freiburg, like they're in the top four, they're not a top four team, but they are only marginally worse than Fra- Frankfurt in my numbers. Uh, I am still a huge seller of Frankfurt. They won three. No, over the weekend, they lost XG 1.8 to 1.2. Like Schalke controlled large parts of that match. They uh, had chance after chance off of set pieces, especially. I thought they were looking very dangerous. Uh, and just, you know, you look at like box entries and passes into the penalty area. And it's kind of crazy that, you know, Schalke got the ball in the penalty area 11 times. Frankfurt got the ball into the area seven times. That's pretty concerning uh, for me when Schalke has some of the worst underlying numbers in the league. So my numbers have Frankfurt as a pretty comparable team. They're at home. They're a pick them. I like Freiburg at home in this matchup. I'm going to take, you know, I feel like what I'm doing is just an absolute sin on this podcast, but I'm going to take Dortmund plus 130 against Mines. Um, I think the Mines that we once knew is is gone and dead. Um, They're just because their defense has completely fallen off. Like out of the gates, they were great. Like they allowed under one expected goal in their first three matches to Bochum, Augsburg, and Union Berlin, which those three teams have turned out to be three of the worst offenses in the Bundesliga. Since then, their last 13 Bundesliga matches, they've allowed 1.64 XG per match. And here's the big problem is that last year we talked about them being this outstanding pressing team that got a bunch of high turnovers that were able to get the ball moving forward in transition. Well, now... They're just not a good pressing team anymore. They're 13th in passes per defensive action, 14th in progressive passes and dribbles allowed. And it's led them just be very middle of the road and big scoring chances allowed, which if you remember, they were number one in the Bundesliga last year. So, I mean, in fact, Mines has allowed the second most goals in the Bundesliga from open play, which is very, very concerning. Dortmund, on the other hand, second best offense in the in the Bundesliga behind Bayern. They're averaging 1.6 non-penalty XG per 90, second in shots per 90, big scoring chances, box entries, basically any important metric that you look at, Dortmund has it. And I think the big thing with Dortmund, I don't know if he's going to play in this match, but Sebastian Haller is back, which is huge for their attack because no longer is Dortmund going to have to rely on Anthony Modest to be their out and out striker. Like we mentioned, I think what, like 10, 15 times on this podcast that he is just not the type of striker that Dortmund needs. Uh, they need somebody who can run in behind defenders and Modest is not that. Haller is definitely that type of guy. And also Giorreno's back. He's only played four full nineties for, for Dortmund this season, had a banger uh, to win against Augsburg. So I think this is a, a pretty short price here or a pretty good price here on Dortmund against a Mines team that just has not looked like the Mines that we saw last season. So I like, I project Dortmund at minus 118. I think the talent level is much greater for them uh, against Mines as well. So uh, I like Dortmund plus 130 on the road. Do you, what is your next Bundesliga pick? Yeah, I'll comment on, on Dortmund a little bit. I mean, we hammered a lot of Dortmund unders and I think did pretty well overall with those uh, this season. Makoko got the start. He's also like he's a good player and, and somebody you know definitely one to watch for the future. 
Uh, Haller came off the bench, 29 minutes. I watched the match today. I didn't think he was particularly good, but again, just kind of getting your feet wet. Uh, I think Haller makes a huge difference. It's not just him too, though. Like Adiemi is finally healthy. Yep. Daniel Malin is finally healthy. Like Dortmund's a really interesting by low after a pretty mediocre first half of the season, uh, especially with, you know, a midfield that we all really like with Oshan and Bellingham. So like, I mean, I'm intrigued. Like, also Bront is healthy. Like they had a ton of injuries in yep. the first half of the season. And then I think the world cup kind of let them hit the reset button here. Uh, they still played a very Dortmundy game. Like they, they win four, three against Osberg. Yeah. It was one of the wildest created over three expected goals, sequences. Though. What's that? They created over three expected goals. So they were, yeah, no, they played really well. I mean, Osberg's defense is terrible, but yep. uh, it was classic Dortmund in the sense that, okay, they concede to go down one or to tie one, one, they scored to go up two one Schlotterbeck's goal concede right away again. So now it's two, two, they retake the lead in the 75th and then concede a minute later. Like there's just something about this team. They switch off. It's very annoying. Uh, Ed and Terzik, is just annoying, um, but I, I've never liked him. But uh, yeah, I, I think we'll we'll see with Dortmund. I mean, there's no like there's no value in going against Bayern. That's the problem. Like, what are you betting them? Yeah, here? like they're clearly going to make top four. I think. Well, I think the one thing like, to monitor with Dortmund is they play Chelsea in, in the Champions League. So monitoring them and how if Chelsea shows if Chelsea continues the way they have been going. And it's going to be all-time hammer spot for Dortmund when we get there. So that'll be something to watch as we go forward. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you that Dortmund is a very, very interesting buy low candidate. I, again, I don't really know what to do with them in the futures market either. I think it's because like I don't really have any interest in them winning the Champions League, uh, even though they are sitting at 50 to 1. Um, but yeah, we'll see going forward. So Dortmund plus 130 is my pick. Do you have another pick in the Bundesliga? I do. I have one more. And... It's another team that got absolutely pasted over the weekend. Werder Bremen went to Köln. Uh, they gave up seven goals on about three expected, one of which came from half field. Look, look it up if you haven't seen it yet. It was awesome. Uh, <laughs> Stefan Tigas, a player who actually used to play for Dortmund, uh, now at uh, Köln. So I'm excited to see that. But uh, I think that Bremen and, and Union is a classic, like, oh, you know, you look at the market and you're like, Union. They've been one of the best teams in the league. They're <laughs> in the top four. Like they're they're a title contender until recently. Uh, like they're only a couple points off Bayern. Like they're such a good team. And then you look at Bremen, who's sitting, you know, right around tenth in the league. And you'd say, oh, it's a pickup. Like this is easy money on on Union. But you look under the hood, and it's like th- this Union attack, which is built off of absolute Houdini magic finishing and and a ton of penalties too. I mean, it's not even just like Union has run good in the finishing department, but there's just so much air in their numbers because of uh, red cards, penalties. And, and then of course the finishing, like it's kind of like they're, they're basically Fulham except instead of uh, overperformance on the offensive end, which or defensive end, which it is for Fulham, it's on the offensive end. And so you're like, Oh, this team is just scoring a shit ton of goals when they really shouldn't be. <laughs> um, my numbers, they're an average team uh, where Verde Bremen's about three tenths worse so you factor in home field, and I actually make Bremen a favorite. They're a dog, so I like Werder Bremen. Pick them uh, at home. Yeah, I'm going to go back to one more match. It's a match you already talked about. Freiburg and Frankfurt. I'm going to go over three goals at plus 120. Both of these teams' matches are averaging about 2.85 uh, XG per 90, so they're both, they're both their matches are essentially above what the average is here in the Bundesliga. And we have two really outstanding offenses. And listen, I've said a lot of bad things about Frankfurt on this on this podcast. 
I think their offense is getting a little better. Now, now I, I agree with you that like a lot of it is just built off ball carrying. Cause like, like you mentioned, like they're, they're very low in passes in the penalty area. They're very low in crosses complete in the penalty area. So what's the only other way they can do that is basically carry the ball into the penalty area. And the problem is, is Freiburg just really hasn't been that as good of a pressing team as they've been in years past. Like that's how you stop this Frankfurt team. Like they're about middle of the road in terms of high turnovers, in terms of progressive passes and dribbles allowed and passes per defensive action. So even though they're allowing, you know, their XG per shot is very, very low, you know, and obviously they're due for some positive regression after that uh, six nil beat down at the hand of Wolfsburg this past week. And that was a fun way to, to welcome me back to the Bundesliga. But, you know, on the flip side of it, you know, Frankfurt is, you know, they're in the bottom half of the Bundesliga and big scoring chances allowed. Like they're the Frankfurt Freiburg's in the top three, uh, so I think this is a good spot to back and over here. I think we could get a little bit more of a bonkers match an up and down type match. So I, I do like the over, I project about 2.95 goals. So over three goals, a plus plus one twenty is good enough for me. All right. That'll do it for the picks portion of this podcast. Next up, we have uh, an interview that we did with Eric Winaldo. We taped it last week. So if there's some Bundesliga discussion that has already happened, um, just, just know that we taped it last Wednesday. Uh, but first, before we get to the interview, Wonder Goal is presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey, Colorado, and Ohio. Bet $1, get 200 free. All right, enjoy this nice 30-minute interview with Eric Winalda. All right, we now bring in a recurring guest. The U.S. men's national team and Bochum legend Eric Winalda is back on the show. He was on a couple weeks ago post-World Cup talking United States men's national team. And we have some news throughout the soccer world right now with obviously with Europe getting back to, back uh, in the full swing of things, Premier League back together. Eric, let's start off here. Obviously, Christian Pulisic has, has had an injury setback at, at Chelsea. It looked like he was going to potentially or at least wanted to make a January move to some other club. Uh, now he's injured. He's staying at Chelsea and Chelsea. Um, it seems like they don't have a plan right now. Like they just went and spent a hundred million on, uh, Mudrick, who is, it was a really good winger, but they already have what seven or eight of them. They've already dropped 65 million on Nkuku coming in. They just brought in Jio Felix on loan. So my first question is what, I mean, I don't know if you know, Todd Bowley or if you know anybody at Chelsea of, you know, inner workings there. What seems to be the plan there? And I'm guessing this means Pulisic is probably going to be on his way out this summer. Hey, have you ever like dropped water on top of an anthill and then watch what happens? <laughs> that's, that's Chelsea right now. This is a bunch of people running around trying to figure out what the hell do we do? Everybody's hurt. Um, we, we, we need to figure out how to get out of 10th place. You can't really, um, assess it because Abba Mayang is, is out to lunch. Pulisic is now hurt. Jao Felix comes in and as well as he was playing, he gets himself thrown out. He's going to be the most expensive player in the history. It's like a, it's like a million dollars a game now. Mm -hmm. uh, now with Mudrik coming in, which was kind of the, it's, it just screams good business from Arsenal to just say, no, we, we have a, we have a good feel on this team. Uh, things are going extremely well. We're not going to hit a panic button and, and buy. Everything about Chelsea right now screams panic. Uh, it's and and Mudrik is as good as he is. 
eight and a half years, guys. <laughs> eight and a half year. What is this? Is this Major League Baseball? I mean, I don't I, know. What is this, Alex Rodriguez? Or it's the only way they were going to get him, I think. Mookie Betts. I mean, I mean, you got to give this agent a lot of credit because he right. he closed in forever. He's basically hit the home run, and and he'll never have to work again. But it, at, at the same token. Um, Chelsea has got to figure out what they, they want to do. We're now hearing that Sterling might be on the move, which is an interesting piece. Newcastle has now reached out and said that Zish might be a good option and Gallagher as well. So uh, there's a lot of moving parts there. They're they're basically just the anthill with a bunch of people running around trying to figure out how the hell do we fix this? And every time they build their house of cards, it falls down and they, they, they try all over again. The biggest problem they have though, guys, is this is no longer a Roman Abramovich team. It's not about when now. It's about, oh, it's okay. You can figure it out. You got this week, maybe next month, maybe next year we'll figure this out. And the Chelsea fans are just not buying it. They want wins. They want it now. Uh, and Bully's figuring out that he's bit off way more than he can chew. And here's what I don't get is that, you know, we we love Graham Potter on this podcast. We are huge Brighton fans of what he did at Brighton. And we thought the move to Chelsea was going to be amazing for Chelsea because he is a really good manager, but much like with his Brighton teams, it took a lot of time for him to get them to the point where they're very good. And he brought his entire recruitment staff over with him from Brighton, all of his coaches and everything. And it just seems like right now, all of those guys are just getting completely overruled. And it's just like, let's just spend on who the hot name is right now. Um, but something me and Anthony have been talking about for a long time is Chelsea's midfield just flat out is getting overrun right now. And they just clearly are not addressing it. And now with all these injuries they have, it's Jorginho and it's Kovacic. And that's it, it for them right now. They don't have anything else and they just keep buying wingers. <laughs> and now they have, they're just stacking them up. So yeah, I don't really know what's happening at Chelsea right now. I mean, that those seem to be the problems. I hope this doesn't mean they're going to sat Graham Potter, even though it is, is a, is a bad run. Cause I think that would be a big time mistake, but yeah. Um, if Pulisic was going to move, where do you think he'd go? Well, I mean, there was a couple of uh, Italian rumors, and then Newcastle was a part of that. I, I, I believe the Gallagher and Ziyech rumors now because I was hearing that about Newcastle with Pulisic uh, a month ago, at, at least before he he got hurt. I mean, when you started describing that, you realize if you didn't say it, you could have been describing Liverpool. <laughs> it was the same the same problem, and it's it's the two yeah. teams, ninth and tenth. Now, I'm going to argue with you a little bit about Potter. Potter is a manager that is not suited for for Chelsea. It, it, he's here's the here's the best way I can put it. Um if he ever says to his players, well he probably will never say to his Chelsea players, "Hey, that's not good enough." in training because he doesn't know what good enough looks like. He's seen a middle-tier team and he's and he's and he's made the most out of a, a Brighton which which was starting to push. They got up to 6 and it was very cool. It's a cool story. Great players who are, are on, the, on, on the ascendancy. But now when you have players at the top level, I just don't, I don't think he has the ability to manage those guys. And he doesn't know how to, he doesn't have the personality. He's not Jose Mourinho. He's not Conte. He's just not. He's not Ancelotti. And that's what Chelsea has always represented. Uh, I, I love his story. I think it's awesome. We all kind of were rooting for a, um, a Mainz to Dortmund to Liverpool, uh, a, a English version of Jurgen Klopp, but he's not. He's not. He looks like him, <laughs> except for the big bags that are his eyes mm-hmm. right now. Can't yeah. this. But the fact that he brought his staff, that he fought, the, they brought a bunch of people that were middle tier, 
uh, is the reason why he's going to stay middle tier until he fixes that. I, I, I'm sorry if I'm, I'm blowing up your. No, no you're fine. No, it, hey, a healthy argument. Gra- Graham's not above I, criticism. Yeah, you know, nobody's above criticism, and you know, again, we've loved Potter for a long time because of what he's done in Brighton. Obviously, since it's the betting. I, I love him too. No, don't get me wrong. I love him too. He's just not suited for Chelsea. Maybe he's not. not. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is, is I think maybe if they get through all these injuries and especially get Reese James and Ben Chilwell back, maybe he can start to mold his team into the Brighton teams that we saw. Over the last I hope so. Seasons. I hope so. But if if it turns into Manchester United three years ago with Gunnar yeah. Solskjaer, then, then 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 I'll just remind you that I was right. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. You know, we, we talk about midfielders uh, and kind of the problems. You know, Liverpool is short on midfield right now. They're looking old. Chelsea is everybody's injured. The one smart signing they did make seemingly was Zachariah, and then now he's injured. All these teams, whether it's you know Man United lacking depth, Spurs even midfield has come into question and under fire lately. One, you know, Tyler Adams is having a great season at Leeds, and he followed up the great World Cup. Adams was the U.S. Men's National Team Player of the Year. Is there like a realistic possibility that Adams is is moving up beyond Leeds anytime soon? Like, what are you hearing about him, and and how has he kind of taken the U.S. Men's National Team to be his own? You know, in a way, whereas. Uh, you know, in the past, it was always pull a six team. Now, do you think it's kind of Adams as the as the leader? I actually think he won us all over with that Iran uh, press conference. To be honest with you, when he when he and he took some loaded questions and he ter- turned it around and he showed what a leader looks like. But his on the field stuff has been pretty good. It's not. Let's not. I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't say, hey, he's already won the German Cup with Leipzig. That that was a big deal. People don't realize that's a big deal. It's a very big deal. Uh, Leipzig actually has Bayern this weekend. I'm going to be watching that one as well. But his pathway to where he is now um, is it doesn't surprise the people that have been paying attention. The Tab Ramos of the world that that coached him at the U20s and people that have, have known him. He's been breaking records uh, as far as the metrics and all the studies and the science uh, for a good eight years straight. Because the sport has become so metrics centric right now, and when you look at the real numbers and the people that are assessing uh, players these days, like a guy like Robertson, how he got to Liverpool, if you, t- if you tell that metrics story, uh, it's because he covers more ground than anybody and he got forward more than anybody else and Klopp bought him on that reasoning alone. It might be the same thing with uh, someone like, like Tyler because – is he the best player in the world? No. Does he cover more ground than just about everybody? Yes. Uh, is he completely ready for a big club? Probably not. But when we get to the summer and Leeds stays in, uh, if Jesse Marsh keeps his job, they were great today, uh, scoring five goals against a lower division team. But um, it, there's a lot on the bone there. I think that Tyler Adams has a wonderful future. Uh, I just don't know if it's immediate. I think it might be too much for him right now to make that jump get through the end of this season and let uh, um, let the bidders come calling. I, I I think McKinney also falls into that, that, that same spot though. You know, Weston McKinney is, is an electric guy. He's got an unbelievable personality. He loves trouble. If you haven't noticed, whether that be at Juventus throwing parties with uh, mm-hmm. or, or, or getting in trouble with the U S team for inviting girls to his room. That's what happened. The, the reality is, is that he's a little bit, uh, just a fun guy, but he's also an amazing player. And he might be right on the coattails of, of Tyler Adams, but both of them, both of them uh, will be ready eventually uh, for a big EPL team, but who's to say Juventus isn't one of the biggest teams or biggest clubs in the world. So um, I would put McKinney also in that conversation. 
Let's talk about the uh, the other midfielder in that trio. Yunus Musa won the Young Player of the Year for the United States men's national team. I mean, his development has been great, obviously, with the national team, and he's been really, really good with Valencia as well. Um, actually, I think he's been a big part of why you know Gattuso has really turned Valencia around from being a relegation type team into back into the top seven or six of where they belong in La Liga. How have you? What have you seen from his development going forward, and what he's able to do on the pitch, and also? Are you hearing anything on any moves maybe he might potentially be making over to England or some other club across Europe? I'm hearing a big summer move um, and nothing mm-hmm. immediate. Uh, and Catuso is the kind of guy you just don't want to piss off. Yeah. So, yeah. When Anybody he, out there, just Google him and you yeah, can just, figure just, out why. <laughs> he he sees uh, Eunice as a, as a really vital component to, to keeping his own job. And um, so if, in that regard, I think that Gattuso would love to champion uh, a move uh, in the summer. I'm hearing big clubs too, really big clubs. So, and I do think it, 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 England would suit him well. I, I think he's one of those midfielders who has the ability to run it out uh, of there, not always pass his way out of it. He's strong, even though he's he's because he's so young. Uh, he maybe he might not dictate a huge number, uh, but he certainly uh, is a guy that. Um, uh, has a, an immense future. Look at our midfield. I mean, we, in U.S., we have Adams, McKinney, Musa, and Gio Reyna. I mean, it's eventually when we figure out that Burholder was the wrong guy and Gio gets back on the field, I think our team's going to be amazing. You kind of mentioned analytics and, and kind of its increasing role. How have you seen that, you know, being Jason and, and in touch with people who run soccer teams? We use stuff like expected goals and expected threat and progressive passes and stuff like that a lot on our show, kind of breaking down teams. How have you seen that on the back end kind of impact the sport in the last few years, you know, maybe 10 years? Well, I, I think what, what and, and, and analytics have, have really grown up, to be honest. It used to be very simple. It used to be how far did you go? How far did you run? When did you tap out? Um, the ability for uh, our coaches to now have that, have an idea of when that red line is about to hit so they can, they can manage their substitutions. Uh, they can manage guys through the week. Uh, they can figure out how to keep them at an optimal level. That's more about what 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 when we deal with science is keeping the athlete at the highest level at all times and understanding when those rest moments need to come. Uh, that in that regard, it's been extremely helpful. Sometimes it's a, it's very misleading. Um, you know, I I think that when we look at uh, passes completed and all this other stuff, I mean, it, all that stuff. That I mean, so what if you're a left back and you made. 67 passes and 64 of them were to the center back and going backwards that, you know, that doesn't really help us here. We need to know who the guys that can change games. Um, and I think that that's where it gets interesting, uh, you know, and, and what unfortunately happens with analytics is some coaches get too married to it. And when they do that, they start changing the mentality of their players. Meaning if you tell a guy, well, you lost the ball six times um, and we, we want you to lose the ball three times or less you're going to stop looking for penetrating passes you're going to stop looking for game-changing moments and and that's what i've seen i've seen some guys really affected by this coaches who don't know how to manage it you, you still you know it's kind of like baseball you know but baseball is the same thing i mean you got some of these managers who don't make a decision about who's going to bat because all the analytics say can't be that guy it's got to be this guy uh, and you make decisions based on that. Uh, soccer is going in that direction sometimes, but it's really about trying to find, and I think Klopp's done a good job at this, is finding that that point where you still trust your eyes, you still trust 
what you see and you don't change the mentality of a player that's trying to change the game, not trying to just exist within it. You spoke about Klopp and Liverpool, another team that's actually kind of in a big time struggle right now. The way, you know, I think that they have similar problems with Chelsea. Obviously they're dealing with a ton of injuries, you know, with Van Dyke being out, but Liverpool, I guess my question is, is do you think given the squad they have right now, obviously they just added Gakpo uh, here in January. Do they have a squad that can potentially push back up into the top four or is the Liverpool that we've seen from the last two years who has been competing for Premier League titles? Is it, uh, is it kind of gone by the wayside? Look, I, I mean, how did they do it? They did it with the front three of Salah, Firmino and Mane. Okay. So Firmino is, is starting to get, as they would say, long in the tooth. And and he's still a phenomenal player. The, those ideas were Nunez and Diaz. Those were the two guys that were really going to fill that void. I'm still a huge fan of Nunez. I, I know he's missed. I, I get it. I, I, I He's missed more chances than, than, than everybody. Even when he scores a great goal, they call it back because he's got a toe offside. I mean, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for him. But he's still an incredible talent. And I, I think it's at some point he's going to come good. And I, I, I'm kind of waiting for that because you remember we started the season, it was all like, who's going to be better, Nunez or Holland? And obviously that question has been answered <laughs> in 2022. 2023 is going to be different for Nunez. I know he picked up a small injury, but I think Gakbo was going to kind of save the deal. Gakbo is the new Firmino. That's, that's, that's what's happening. That's what they're trying to create. Uh, he's not as fast. Uh, he's not quick, but he, he is clever enough. Uh, to be able to to be flanked by Nunez and 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 Salah, and then let's see what that looks like. You got to give it time. Diaz really is the injury that that messed him up. I mean, that's that that really was a punch in the stomach. But that midfield is aging. Thiago and and Henderson, it, it's just not what it used to be. And relying on Elliot, you're not going to get far. Great goal the other day, but but don't don't count on that. So I think they're coming in eighth, guys. I think that this is going to be one of those really poor seasons. Yeah, and you have to go back and 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 unfortunately remember that Klopp has the seven-year twitch. He had it in Mainz, he had it in Dortmund, and now it's in Liverpool. I don't know why, guys, but every seven years he has a blip in the screen, and it just doesn't go away. So we're right in the middle of it. Live with it, Liverpool fans. You'll be better next year. You're just going to have to deal without uh, the Champions League money. Yeah, I think the biggest question is kind of, do they get Bellingham? Does that solve kind of the midfield issue? Yeah. And I guess we'll see that in summer, but they seem to be the front runners. Right now, right? If you're if you're the Fenway Sports Group, you're selling. Why the yeah. hell would you pay somebody for a hundred million? Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm sure uh, I'm sure the people in Dubai would be happy to spend that money on uh Bellingham. There you go. So I mean, and and this just speaks volumes of what Dortmund does. I mean, Dortmund has been doing this for the last eight years, whether it's Jaden Sancho or Dembele or Pulisic or Erling Holland or it doesn't matter on and on and on. Uh, they, they do it every year, and it doesn't surprise anybody that Bellingham, out of Dortmund, is the highest-rated uh, player uh, or at least the most expensive player on the planet. So, no, I don't think I don't think he solves the problem. They've been swimming backwards ever since Vinaldum left, but I, I do think they need to figure that, that position out for sure. You mentioned Dortmund. Bundesliga's back. Very exciting to have it back. It, it's, um, you know, I always say outside of the Prem, by far my second favorite league to watch. Uh, just always exciting and, and always goals and, and excitement. Uh, Dortmund getting Sebastian Haller back after he missed the first half of the season with testicular cancer. Back in the team, scored a hat trick in his first debut as, in the friendly. 
Uh, what are you expecting from Hilaire and how does that, you know, fix Dortmund in a way where they were struggling with, for finishing and a true striker in the first half? See, Holler is, is kind of where Nunez was last year, but two years ago. Uh, he, he's that guy. I mean, he didn't have the best of time at West Ham. I remember going back to his Frankfurt days as well, but he, he found a home in Holland and then he, he blew up. Uh, he's going to have another blow up. Modesta is, is not, is not going to be the, the problem solver for, for Dortmund. Um, and I, I do think that, that this is going to be special. It's going to be a great story. Uh, it was horrible to hear the news. Testicular cancer is, is something that, uh, it's, it's, it's actually um, quite common, to be honest, but I've heard about it a bunch of times with players and ex-players and friends and whatnot. Um, it is obviously curable. I mean, you can get you can get through it, and he has. Um, but what an amazing soccer player this guy is, and he's got all the pieces around him. So I'm looking for a, a massive explosion. I think this guy's going to blow it up. I mean, everybody thought that just because he didn't have a lot of success in England – that he was kind of found out. That's not true. This guy just had a, he's in the right team at the right time. Uh, and, and a lot of people pulling for him and motivated for him. And, uh, and it's going to be fun to watch. He, he's going to, he might get, I think I'm going to, I'm going to prognosticate 17 in the, what's called the Rückrunde. So I'll, I'll give him 17 goals in the, in the second half of the season. Mm, that's quite a few. And with only, uh, they have a chance have 19 at- matches left. That's quite a few. I mean, they're a little bit too far behind. This guy has the potential to blow up, and that's that's a big number, I know. But he's going to have a couple of hat tricks again in there. And there's, I think they start off with Augsburg, which could be a good start. I All think right. they're a little too far off Bayern to probably catch them. But yeah, Champions they're... League, they get they get Chelsea, could make a run. But they, oh, that's that's. Nice. Dorman doesn't care. Dorman is going to sell Jude Bellingham for 120 million. In the right? summer, right? We're not we're not saying January, right? So they will always turn a profit. The, the, the way that I don't know how they've managed to convince the wall and the, and the Dortmund fans that that fourth is always okay, but it is okay. It is okay because they continue to have the best business uh, in football. It, it started with Michel Sork. He did it. He did an amazing job in his time there. He's passed that torch to Sebastian Q. Uh, and they are just very good at finding talent, turning it over. And, and, and Jaden Sancho was the first English guy. Shouldn't surprise anybody that Jude Bellingham, an English guy in a German setup, is going to be the most expensive. You watch. They'll do it again. We don't know who that player is yet, but he'll. they're going to find another Dembele and sell him for $90 million and continue to, to keep rolling. That's how they do things over there. All right. Final question. Uh a lot of stuff has been going on with the United States men's national team since we last spoke. Um, it seems like Greg Bart Bearhalter's on his way out. Who do you think is going to be the next United States men's national team manager if you had to put money on it right now? Wow. I mean, we we, we know that they made an offer or started a conversation with Zidane. And the only good news in that for American fans is at least we tried. It doesn't mean that the conversation is over. Uh, but let's go back a little bit. And then this is where I'm, I'm, you know, I have a right to be kind of pissed off about it. When, when I put my spoon in that bowl of shit that was already happening, it, it was already at full boil. And people in America and our media are so naive about this kind of thing that they would think that that I was the one that that let the cat out of the bag. That that was brewing with Burholter and the Reina family for a long time long time and the fact that it had to come to a head in a world cup is really quite sad and pathetic um but you know when i the the, the reason why i got angry is because people thought i called Berholter a liar now just to point out to your viewers 
pointing it out when someone lied is very different than calling someone a liar. It just is. And the way that this thing has unfolded has proven that Greg Berhalter has no business managing the national team. He's lost the locker room. He threw a player under the bus. Forget it. It's over. Now, the bigger problem is going to be Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride are the two that are going to be called upon to fix this. I'm, I'm going to sound like a, a, a um, disgruntled whatever, but uh, these were ex-teammates of mine. I know them very well, and they are both uh, not the competent people that we need to be making this decision right now. So when you ask me who needs to be the next national team coach, the first thing that needs to happen is Brian McBride and Ernie Stewart need to be removed from the decision-making process because they will not make the appropriate decision. They have drank the Kool-Aid, and I don't know what color it is this month, and they have become a part of uh, a big game of Star Wars, and they are on the dark side. So we don't have a manager until we make an appropriate decision. The more things change, the more they stay the same. U.S. soccer is an absolute joke. So who is it if I had to put money on it? I, I would have thought maybe Roberto Martinez would have had a chance. Oh, I don't want to go anywhere near that right now. I know, but but this, these are the kind of bad decisions we make. So <laughs> I let Portugal thought, make that decision. Right. Uh, for me personally, who do I, if, if, if we win American, it's easy. It's Jimmy Curtin. It is not uh, Jesse Marsh. Jimmy Curtin would be the one that uh, it would fit within their budget constraints and, and be a wonderful hire, in my opinion. Now that might make sense because Ernie Stewart used to work with him in Philadelphia. So let's let's stay tuned there. Union, but I think it will be a foreigner. I do. Um, I know Bielsa looks like he's on his way to Mexico. I think that would have been a too crazy to, for us uh, uh, to to hire someone like that. But you know, in, in, at the end of the day, um, it, it's such a it's such an unbelievable uh, a big decision. Two thousand twenty six is everything. Right. And we got to get this right. And it's not four years. It's three, three and a couple months. So yeah, we have to get this right. The guy that's coaching the team right now, Anthony Hudson is, is, is going to take these two games. Um, when they've, they've already announced that list today. So it's a lot of guys having their first caps with the team uh, right. is, is clearly not the answer. We, we know that he's just a guy that's, that's, that's just a, a placeholder until we figure this out. But United States soccer federation has been infamous for uh making us wait uh and mm -hmm. and so i i don't think we're i think i think we're still a month away from a decision um and i'm sure they're interviewing people but if i'm not putting money on it but man if you had my choice i would i would be all over zidane zidane would be yep. would be just i don't want to say arrogant but 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 the shot in the arm that we need no more bullshit no, no more family ties none of this 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 incestual uh you know we hire your buddies uh we just need somebody to evaluate our players pick a team pick the right players uh because we have enough talent out there and not succumb to the the drama that we we just we just had to live through so i would be in favor of someone like zidane that would be for me uh um probably the best case scenario i mean this is a long conversation probably but <laughs> i mean it, it still it still illuminates the idea that, that Jurgen klinsman was doing a good job by the way yeah they, they got rid of him too quickly all right thank you very much for your time eric that'll do it for this episode of wonder goal thank you everybody for listening make sure to download 
rate, subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Until next time, good luck with your Bundesliga bets in the midweek, and we'll see you all on Thursday morning. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.